We're reading this evening from Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 18, and it's on page 1106 in the Church Bibles. So Acts chapter 12 and verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. How many um, different groups do you belong to? Might be a club, organisation, uh, company, social group. 
If you try shopping or um, ordering anything on the internet these days, it seems you can't do it without uh, signing up to become a member. As the Walkers found out recently when they went to watch Man United for Sam's 18th birthday, had to become members of the Man United fan club, which for some of you might think is great. I think for Matt, wasn't quite so uh, impressed as a Spurs fan. Key thing, I think, is remembering not to tick the box, which says I'm happy to receive emails and marketing information from you. Soon enough, your inbox will be clogged up by all sorts of things. Well, much membership has become meaningless, hasn't it? We just tick the box and say, yeah, happy to become a member. With no sense of uh, loyalty, no sense of belonging. But a true sense of belonging is important, isn't it? If we truly belong to someone, something, then we're prepared to stand up for that cause, for that person. We're prepared to, to make it known. We're prepared to make sacrifices for them. Brazilian footballer Kaká made it clear who he belonged to after winning the Champions League final for Milan in 2007. You may remember this picture, taking off his shirt to show he belonged to Jesus. Now, it might not have cost him much to proclaim that he belongs to to Jesus, but for others, of course, it can be much more costly, as we heard earlier on from, from, from Andrew in his presentation. And it was no different in the days of the early church. Our passage this evening starts with some pretty harrowing words, doesn't it? Have a look at um, verse 1 there of chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Now, if you know the story of um, James and John earlier in uh, uh, the life of Jesus, you remember they asked him that question, whether they could sit at his right and his left hand in glory, thinking that following Jesus was all about glory. And Jesus told them, you don't know what you're asking. He said, can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? They said, yes, yes, we can. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or left hand is not for me to grant. These things belong to those for whom they have been prepared. But when he said, you will drink the cup I drink, what he meant was that you would undergo the same suffering that I will. And here we see in this passage the stark fulfilment of that prophecy. James, as it says in verse 2, Herod had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And this is the end of his life. And if that wasn't enough, he goes on, when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also, obviously with a view to killing him. This Herod, Herod Agrippa, was a ruthless tyrant, but he knew he, knew he needed the support of the, uh, the people. And it looked like his moment had come. His moment to persecute a, an unpopular minority without any fear of retribution. They looked like an easy target. And for the church, it looked like it was going to be the start of a new wave of persecution. And of course, that wasn't anything new. Let's just look back at a few pages in, in Acts to remember the, uh, the story of the, the early church. And if we looked at... Uh, Chapter 4 that we, we studied last Sunday evening. You remember that Peter and John had been arrested simply for teaching people, for proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. 
But we were told they were released. And they continued to preach. They continued to perform miraculous signs and wonders. And as they did so, more and more people believed and joined them. Now at that point, the religious leaders were, were filled with jealousy, we're told. They arrested all the apostles. And again, we're told during the night, an angel opened the doors of the jail, told them to, to go and to tell people the full message of this new life. That's what so the angel told them to do. So they were brought back again. They were flogged. And they were ordered by the authorities not to speak in the name of Jesus. But have a look at chapter 5, verse 41. And uh, you'd have thought with all this intimidation, with all this persecution going on, they would probably just keep quiet for a little while. But it says there in verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Well, things are looking good, but then you go into chapter 7 and chapter 8, and things start to take a serious downward turn. Here we read of Stephen, who was arrested and stoned to death, becoming the first Christian martyr. And that, we're told at the beginning of chapter 8, triggered widespread persecution against the church, as it says in chapter 8, verse 2. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Now the amazing thing is that just as things start to look pretty grim for the church, Saul... The man who'd supported the stoning of Stephen, the man who was responsible for the persecution of the church, wanting to destroy the church, is converted in dramatic style. And he joins the church. He belongs to the church that he was once persecuting. At that point, things seem to calm down. And all those Christians that have previously been scattered there, they're spreading the gospel, they're preaching the good news, and churches are being planted. Things are looking great. And then we get to chapter 12. And again, we have a serious setback. A new wave of persecution for the church that starts with the killing of James and the arrest of Peter and his expected execution. And it's a reminder that throughout history, the church has experienced these continuous cycles of expansion and growth, followed by periods of opposition and decline. And this passage is a great reminder, a great encouragement that the powers of death and hell will never prevail against Christ's church because it's securely built on a rock. Jesus Christ is the foundation. But let's have a look at this uh, exciting story. Let's have a look at what um, the Christians here are up against. Now, Luke here goes to great lengths, doesn't he, to describe just how tight the security is around Peter. And so the usual arrangements of being handcuffed, maybe just to one soldier. Here he is sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains. And we're told sentries stood guard at the entrance. There are four squads of four soldiers each dedicated to making sure he doesn't escape. Now, if this was James Bond or... 
Hannibal Lecter in the Silence of the Lambs, and we see a, a prisoner, a highly dangerous criminal, in a, in a box with all sorts of uh, security mechanisms. For you that have seen Skyfall, this is a familiar picture, maybe. You see that happen in a film, and you know he's going to get free, don't you? You know through some amazing escape, he'll be out of there. But this isn't fantasy that we read here. This isn't movies. This is real life. And we're told that Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. Now we know what that means. It will probably be a sort of show trial. He won't get a fair trial. James has just been put to death with a sword. He didn't get any particular trial that we hear about. And Peter, we're expecting, will be tried and executed. And of course, the church would have been really worried. This was their leader about to be, to be killed. Now, hopefully they wouldn't have forgotten how Peter had a, been arrested before and um, in that similarly hopeless situation, he'd been there released. Remember what happened there when he was released, as we looked at last week? The first thing they did after he'd been released was praise God for his sovereign power, his power over the earth. And they quoted from Psalm 2, which we uh, read earlier in this evening. A psalm which talks about human kings and rulers gathering against the Lord and his anointed one. And just how ridiculous that is. Because what will happen will only happen if God allows it to happen. Herod and Pontius Pilate were guilty of the death of Jesus. But we're told that they only did what God's will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, there will be times when we look at a situation we're in and think, it's impossible for us to do anything about it. It may be governments establishing new laws that are dishonouring to God. I've been hearing a lot recently about the, the bill on, uh, about gay marriage. And even despite conservative backbench opposition, with all the, the Labour and Liberal Democrat um, supporters, it looks like it's impossible to, to stop, humanly speaking. And yet it's given Christians a great opportunity to to unite and to defend Christian values, to to say openly that marriage is a God-ordained institution. It's not a human institution. It was ordained by God to be a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. There have been, even in our lifetimes, many humanly impossible situations that we've been confronted with. The might of Germany in World War II. The Iron Curtain. We've seen various godless rulers maintaining a a grip on on power. (coughs) People like Saddam Hussein, Colonel Gaddafi, Osama bin Laden, Kim Jong from North Korea. Of course, none of them are still alive today. People today face impossible situations. We heard earlier from Andrew about some of them that... um, CSW and uh, Barnabas Open Doors are involved with. If you get their newsletters, they make pretty harrowing reading. Pastors being taken off the whole time. Churches being destroyed and attacked. But also at our own personal levels, there will be situations that we feel are impossible. Maybe health situations. Maybe discrimination in, in the workplace. Maybe we're being unfairly treated in the community or in our families. There are many humanly 
impossible situations like this one here. But the good news that we can take away is that with God, all things are possible. And the remarkable thing about Peter's escape here is that it is unremarkable when we read it. Uh, you know, if this were James Bond escaping from the clutches of some uh, uh, terrible baddies, there will be a highly sophisticated escape that he's worked out that he uh, can, can do. There will be lots of suspense. There will be guards with machine guns chasing him. There will be a, a fast car chase and a, a fight on top of a train. But what happens here? An angel appears. A light shines. The angel strikes Peter on the side and says, wake up. Which is surprising in itself, isn't it? That Peter's asleep. He, he's about to be tried and probably executed and he's calmly asleep. It's in God's hands. But the angel tells him to get up and we're told the chains fell off. They just fell off like that. Put your clothes on, put your sandals and follow me. And Peter does just, just that. It's also normal. He, he doesn't know if it's really happening if, or if it's just a dream or, or a vision here. They pass the first guards, the second guards, they reach the iron gates and they open by themselves and they, they go through. And when uh, they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly we're told the angel left him and he's alone. Job done. And Peter's standing there in the middle of the street realising that actually this is no dream. He really is here. This really has happened. He's escaped from prison. And I think the whole passivity of, of Peter in this attempt is showing that God was behind all this. There's nothing down to Peter. God is the one who's rescued him. He knows, without a doubt, that it was the Lord who sent that angel. It was the Lord who rescued him from Herod's clutches. He's free, and it's down to God. Now, if you've read the book, I don't know whether you know the book, The Heavenly Man, um, you will recall a, a similar episode in the life of a guy called uh, Brother, Brother Yun, he was a member of the, the house churches in China, but um, somebody who refused to join the government-controlled churches and uh, was imprisoned and tortured by, by government authorities. However, he continued his uh, ministry while in prison and, and through him many prisoners and even some prison officials became Christians. He was moved between different prisons and um, ended up at the Shenzhou Maximum Security Prison somewhere where nobody had previously escaped. And one day he describes how he heard the voice of the, the Holy Spirit telling him to, to simply walk out the heavily guarded prison gate, despite having had two legs broken, risking being shot to, to death on the spot. And yet, he said he obeyed the voice, he walked straight through several prison doors that were somehow left open, past prison guards who, for whom he seemed to be in, invisible. And although many have expressed doubts, well, how could such a thing happen? Apparently, um, prison guards lost their jobs for what was described um, by the state investigation as an embarrassing mishap, and which concluded that he received no human help in his escape. Reports that have been confirmed by numerous prisoners uh, who occupied the same prison cell. Now, as with all miracles, some people will be dismissive, but with God, all things are possible. In the same way that he can release Peter from a high-security prison 
in the, the first century. He can release somebody from China in the 21st century. But whilst God has the power to do anything he wants, in whatever way he wants, using whatever means he wants, more often he chooses to work through the prayers of his people. Having described the the hopeless situation in the, the opening four verses of this chapter 12, with James having been killed, Peter facing the same future, what does it say? Have a look um, in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now we often think of prayer as something we do as a sort of last resort. If there's nothing else we can do, we just want to get out and do something. As if our own efforts are somehow going to be more effective. But prayer is the most powerful weapon that we have. And what does it mean here to say they were praying earnestly? Well, I think it conveys two, two ideas. One is, is perseverance. And that's you know, in our verse for the year, isn't it? Be faithful in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Don't give up. Even when it looks like your prayer is not being answered in the way you expect it to be answered. Keep on praying. Continue to seek the Lord's will. And the other is, uh, I think, an intensity. Pray with passion and urgency. Pray as if you really want and are expecting an answer to this thing that you're praying for. What is one of the most memorable moments of prayer in the Bible you can think of? Is it not the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus praying to the Father? Let's just turn quickly to Luke chapter 22. Page um, 105, 105.8. Luke chapter 2, verse 39. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, If you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus persevered in prayer whilst the disciples slept. And he prayed with passion and urgency. He prayed earnestly. He was in anguish. The moment was imminent. He was about to be arrested. He prayed for strength to resist the temptation. The temptation not to do the Father's will. He wanted to do it. He prayed that it would be done. Here in chapter 12 of Acts, the church is praying earnestly because they don't want Peter to die. They want God's will to be done. And if it is God's will, that he would rescue him. And they're praying with urgency because they know that he doesn't have long before he will be executed. And they're persevering in prayer. They're not giving up. You know, when Peter does escape, he goes to the house of Mary. It says, many people had gathered and were praying. This is the middle of the night. They're still praying. And look at the reaction when Peter arrives. 
you wonder if when they hear that knock on the door, there's probably a sense of fear and panic. Now, after all, Herod's already arrested um, some who belong to the church. There's no reason why he couldn't come and round up a few more. And what do they do? They say, well, they send a servant girl, Rhoda, to go and see who it is. Very brave of them, wasn't it? They send the servant girl. And anyway, this comical situation where she, she recognises Peter's voice, but um, instead of letting him in quickly, she, she runs back to the elders, leaving him at the door, and says, hey, guess what? It's Peter. He's at the door. They say, no, no, don't be silly. I know we've been praying for him, but we don't expect him to be released just like that. It's such a human story, isn't it? We can all relate to that. Meanwhile, Peter's still there knocking away, thinking, are they ever going to come and open this door for him? Well, eventually they do. They open the door. And sure enough, it's Peter, and they're astonished. And Peter tells them, or signals them, just be quiet. Maybe he doesn't want to wake the neighbours up. Maybe he's worried about them getting into trouble if it gets around that they've, uh, they've seen him after his escape. And so he just tells them, make sure James, the other James, the brother of Jesus, knows what has happened, and the brothers. And then he left for another place. How was it that Peter was released? Well, yes, God sent an angel. But God's people were praying for his release. They didn't know who, how God would would release him. After all, it was something beyond their human understanding. How an angel could appear and just make the chains fall off like that and open the doors. And it's not surprising that when Peter suddenly appears before them, they're astonished. But praying in faith is about praying that God would astonish us, that he would achieve his will in his way. Now, we don't know why God in his providence allowed James to die and Peter to live. And we shouldn't try and understand God's plans. It's not that people didn't pray enough for James or that God loved Peter more than James. It, it, he called James home earlier than Peter. Maybe because he still had work for Peter to do. But the lesson for us is the need earnest prayer. When uh, Brother Yun uh, talks about his escape from uh, Chenzhou prison in China, he escaped and then went to the home of some Christians and um, one of them said this, he said, um, the whole church has been fasting and praying for you, for you and your co-workers for more than a week. Yesterday the Holy Spirit told my mother, I will release you and the first place he will stop will be your home. He will stay for a short time and pray with you. Power of prayer. At the beginning of this chapter, everything seemed hopeless. There was um, nothing to be done. Herod was wielding his power. Those who belonged to the church were being arrested. They were being killed. And yet, by the end of the chapter, there's been a complete reversal. If you read on the next few verses, you'll see that um, because Herod, it tells us, did not give praise to God, He was struck down by an angel of the Lord. A little different from the the angels we'll see in the nativity plays. And the chapter finished. Have a look at verse um, 24. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. And that provides the introduction to chapter 13 and the, the missionary journeys of Paul. 
it's a great encouragement, isn't it, that uh, tyrants like Herod may be permitted for a while to think that they are powerful to, to hinder the spread of the gospel, but they will not be allowed to last. Sooner or later, they will be broken, they will fail, and the work of the gospel will continue. Nothing can stop the spread of the gospel, particularly when God's people come together in prayer. We're just uh, coming to the end now of this uh, short-term series uh, on prayer over these last three weeks. And um, the key message, as I hopefully you've picked up through this, is believers coming together in prayer. Remember in chapter 1 we looked at, and the key verse there was they all joined together constantly in prayer as they waited for the Holy Spirit to come. Last week it said they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this week it says in chapter 12, verse 5, the church... The gathered church, the believers coming together, was praying earnestly to God. The early church was a great inspiration to us in terms of their commitment to prayer. And as we look ahead to 2013, all the challenges it holds in store for us as a church, let this be an encouragement to us, inspiration to us, to come together regularly and earnestly in prayer. Let's pray now. Father God, we do thank you that we can pray to you. That we have this access to you through Jesus. And it's such a privilege to be able to do that. And it is such a a powerful weapon. Father God, we praise you for your, your power that with you all things are, are possible, that nothing is impossible. And we thank you that you would choose to use us to accomplish your ends, that uh, you would choose to listen to the prayers of your people and to answer those prayers in ways which accord with your will. And so, Lord, we do pray this evening that you would... Help us to be a people of prayer, a church of prayer, that we will come together frequently and earnestly to persevere in prayer, to pray for those things that we know are what you want. Lord, show us your will and make us earnestly desire to do your will and pray for it to happen. For your glory's sake. Amen.